I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. For our series Reimagine Chicago, we're exploring how the city's institutions work and how they could work better for residents. Today, we wrap up the public safety portion of the series with a look at what reform efforts have looked like within the Chicago Police Department and why some reforms are harder than others to get done. For an inside look, we're joined now by Chad Williams, civilian commanding officer of the Audit Division with CPD. Chad, welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me. You're an auditor by trade and civilian within the police department. What can you tell us about your role with CPD? So after working as a federal auditor for nearly a decade, I came here to start what's called the audit division uh, in order to really help to assess the extent to which the reforms that are being put in place are really working and, and what how they could be potentially done better. And for those who may not know, Chicago police have been under a federal consent decree for reform since 2019. So, Chad, what are some of the barriers or obstacles that you've identified when it comes to implementing reform? Well, I think broadly speaking, um, I've, I've noticed a few different things in my years here. First and foremost, I think that the general understanding of what the consent decree is, uh, is is challenging. I mean, obviously, I think very few people in the public know about the consent decree. And I think even those that do view it as something that says the department has to do X and Y. But the reality is that while it was a negotiated legal document on a day-to-day basis, the reality is the city and the Illinois Office of Attorney General and the monitoring team overseeing it are really in an ongoing uh, back and forth about what the words in it mean. And I think that that complication is very time-consuming and is something that's often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that and recognizing that that's happening on the front end just to get to a point where the new policies are agreed upon is really a very time-consuming piece. And that really predates how the training that it affects will be updated and then eventually down the road how we really understand how it's affecting behavior. How are these policy changes and and reforms communicated to the rank-and-file police? Well, that's a a good question because, as you can imagine, in any organization of more than 12,000 people, when you make a policy change, it's very difficult to make sure that everyone understands the extent to which these are, are known. When you look at just the sheer volume of changes that are happening at one time, that's a very difficult task. And I think that realistically, it has to be acknowledged that while the training has increased quite a bit, there's just so many changes going on that, frankly, a lot of the times it has to be communicated. And it's going to take a number of years for all these changes to be well understood and trained upon because of the, the numbers of hundreds and hundreds of new things that are being done with relation to the consent decree. So as we've mentioned, the department's been under this consent decree for reform for a couple of years now. But yet every so often, we hear about them missing dozens of court-mandated deadlines. What's going on there, Chad? Well, I don't know that I'm the best to speak to the to that. I will say that, I, you know, from my point of view, I mean, in my line of work, I certainly understand the desire and, and frankly, the need to quantify things that are very difficult to quantify. Um, I think the long and the short of it is that it's difficult to really assess where things stand. And I think that I think it may be a bit short-sighted to look at, for example, percentages of those things, whether or not even if it was showing that 100% of things were met, I think that it's still probably a bit misleading to really understand where things stand. The importance of, of hitting those deadlines is uh, you know, not to be overlooked. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of back and forth between the monitoring team and the department and the Office of Attorney General. And those play a role in the timing of those things. But I think that for us to really understand how this is going, not only are those new policies going to have to be agreed upon and created and go through that process, 
but then we're also going to make sure have to make sure that the department really has a good understanding of how that affects all the training that not only new members but existing members get to make sure that they're aware of them and trained upon how that affects their day-to-day behavior. And then at the back end, for my, you know, my role, I think all of that has to be really understood and assessed to understand that, you know, did this make the change it was intended to make? And if not, how, how should it be done differently to make sure that we get to that point? If not through deadlines, what's a better way to measure success? Uh, you know, it's a good question. This has been done in a lot of cities, and I think that you probably in every city you may get a different answer. Uh, I think a holistic view, an understanding of not only whether or not the policies are changed or changed in a way that people uh, broadly agree with and are comfortable with, but that we also make sure that we understand how they're being followed on a day-to-day basis beyond individual incidents that maybe come up in or discussed in, in the news. I think having a better understanding of how uh, things go when things go well as well as how things go poorly, I think are all part of the formula. And while it might not be a satisfying answer, I think that it really has to be an, a regular look at monitoring and looking at how things are going when they're going well and when they're going poorly so we can understand and uh, identify behavior before uh, things go in a negative way. Consent decrees aren't the only way to um, create change, right? Because we saw the city implement a new foot chase policy following that back-to-back of uh, police killings of of 13-year-old Adam Toledo and 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez. That's certainly true. Those things are being done in coordination with the monitoring team. So in a broader sense, uh, you know, I think it could be viewed as part of the overall perform process. It's obviously through a certain a different mechanism. That policy is obviously still very new and I think will, you know, has been communicated to the department. And it's something that, like every other policy, we're going to have to make sure that the department keeps an eye on how it's, how it's being implemented in reality and, and how it's being followed. And when it's not being followed, that we make sure that any sort of behavior that's not being followed is, is corrected and we keep an eye on how things are going so that we turn it from, from not only a policy, but also something that's reinforced through, through um, feedback. Chad, what does the media miss when it comes to having these conversations on CPD reform? You know, I, I think that there's a couple of things. I think a lot of times these conversations really, they touch on the big picture issues, which are obviously important. I mean, we're talking about huge issues that a lot of major cities are facing right now. There's some day-to-day things that I think are also incredibly important. When we talk about big picture things like, uh, oversight and culture and things like that. Those are big words that mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I'll say that, for example, the oversight piece here in Chicago, I know this series has touched a lot about all the different parties involved in overseeing reform. One thing that's key to this department, and I know earlier this week I had just read in one of the articles on the topic that superintendent here at the department had said, uh, you know, if members of law enforcement, I'm paraphrasing a touch, uh, are, are, are not open to reform, they're in the wrong business and they have to change our culture. And I think those are important to get that from the top. One thing that I think we often miss in these conversations is what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. What does culture look like? You know, given my role on the reform side, the best way that I can describe it is to say that in an organization that is as old uh, and entrenched in its culture as the Chicago Police Department, when it comes to reform, things that come with things like the command channel structure, we know obviously those things are in place for specific types of difficult situations that members are put in. But when it comes to trying to change things, it is not necessarily the best culture to reinforce when you need members to really sort of try to come up with uh, ways to improve the way, for example, data is, uh, I'm sorry, the information is collected, or that you need somebody to step up and, and do a little bit more, um, you know, as part of a broader group when they're used to really reporting to a singular supervisor or a set of supervisors 
And their focus is really uh, making sure they're aligned with direct uh, directives that come from that structure. So that is something that I think is is going to have to be looked at uh, moving forward as far as this culture change. There is often an incentive to make sure that you don't step in the wrong spot and do anything that could potentially uh, negatively affect those above you in this type of structure. And I think that when it comes to not only this department, but all the, all the departments that are going through this and will likely be going through this in the years to come, is that those types of things are going to have to be looked at if we want to really effectively try to make change in these types of environments, because it's very different than working in, say, an environment that encourages what they call managing up or taking things to the level above you and telling them how they could be done better. That is not something that is as common here as it would be in those types of organizations. When you think more on what you want to see from local and and state leaders on this issue, Chad, is this a matter of resources or or political will? Well, it's difficult to say because I think that, you know, when I came to this department, I'd made a point to speak to people in every other city that had gone through this. Uh, at least the major cities, to understand what they faced in the early years of this, okay. uh, to understand what was ahead, and in understanding what they had run up against. The, you know, another unsatisfying answer is I think it's probably both. I mean, people don't realize that when we try to change something like this, that it's not a matter of just having somebody sit down at a desk and write a few things and think this is how we're going to do things now. There's a lot of moving parts, and it does take a lot of administrative resources, which is not something that people like to hear when it comes to city government. Uh, because you know, there's obviously a lot of feelings about how much is already invested in that area. But it, it, is, it takes a lot to keep track of all this, and also keeping in mind that the department has its primary function that it has to do on a day-to-day basis, especially in the summertime. Well, I want to reinforce that we invited uh, CPD Superintendent David Brown, also uh, multiple times Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, we've invited them both on the program, and that invitation, of course, still stands. Before I let you go, though, Chad, uh, you are a fellow with the Civic Leadership Academy at uh, UChicago's Center for Effective Government, and they're actually our partners on this Reimagine Chicago series. How has that experience informed the work that you do with CPD? Well, it's been invaluable. I can't say enough about uh, the cohort that I've been able to spend the, the, the better part of this year with and the others from previous classes. I think, you know, there's a lot of serious challenges facing our city and county governments, and there's a lot of incredible people trying to take on those challenges and, and the nonprofits that, that work hand-in-hand with them. So I think it's good and reinforcing to realize that in these things, that while they're very challenging, there's a lot of other people that are experiencing those challenges and, and getting a chance to speak with them and understand that, one, you're not the only one that's running into some of these walls, but also understanding how they've attempted to navigate that and deal with those situations has been very helpful, uh, especially in my role here at Anything else you want to add about how we can reimagine public safety here in Chicago? Realistically, I think this is going to have to be something that has to be an ongoing conversation and hopefully doesn't just flare up when we have the unfortunate events that we have, often like we're seeing right now in the summer in Chicago. I think it's something that even when things are going really well, we have to make sure that the that everyone involved, the community, the department, um, all of the, the nonprofits and everyone is involved in the conversation about these decisions that people are at the table. And I think that that in itself, uh, it takes a lot of work and it's hard. And sometimes that is really the only answer. And until we really get into a habit of everyone involved really doing that, I think it's going to be a long conversation. And I think the sooner we do that, the sooner it's going to begin to get better. That's Chad Williams, Civilian Commanding Officer of the Audit Division with the Chicago Police Department. Chad, thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot for having me. So far throughout this Reimagine series on policing, we've talked about different kinds of reform needed in the Chicago Police Department. 
and some of the obstacles that prevent it. Now we check in with someone whose job it is to not only evaluate both of those things, but to recommend how the department could function better. Joining me now is Deborah Witzberg. She's the Deputy Inspector General of Public Safety for the City of Chicago. Deborah, welcome back to Reset. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's help people, first of all, understand what the IG's office does, particularly with respect to the CPD. So how does your role work and what areas of policing are you likely to evaluate? Sure. The, so the Office of Inspector General is a citywide oversight agency. Um, we have oversight jurisdiction over all operations of city government. And the office operates in a number of different sections um, doing different kinds of work. And one of those sections is our public safety section, is, is the section I oversee. And our public safety section is devoted to oversight of the Chicago Police Department, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, and the police board. And so um, we focus then on evaluating and assessing uh, the operations of those agencies, making recommendations to improve them, um, and looking at ways that, that the operations of those entities interact with the operations of other pieces of city government. So what type of power does your office have? Like once you make the recommendations, who enforces them? So we make those recommendations in writing to the relevant agencies. And according to the municipal code, they are required to respond to those recommendations in writing. And then we publish the recommendations and the responses. The municipal code also requires that um, for any recommendation we've issued and an agency has responded, if any three aldermen request a city council hearing on our recommendations and the responses, um, there's a required subject matter hearing. We have not seen that take place, but it is in fact required by the municipal code. So, Deborah, what's your take then on how that works? Because you've made so many recommendations, not all get implemented. Uh, that's right. Uh, my my take on that generally is that this moment in reform is marked by a couple of real challenges. Um, I think most salient among them is a lack of political will to reform. There are no shortage of opportunities. Uh, many, but not all, of those opportunities, I think, come in the form of recommendations from our office. Um, there's a lack of will to adopt those recommendations, to pursue meaningful transformational reform, um, and to hold accountable city actors responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Well, at the beginning of this series, uh, we talked to criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith from WBEZ. This is what he had to say about change at CPD. A fundamental change uh, at, at the Chicago Police Department is going to require a cultural change, I think a bottom-up cultural change. And that is just a really hard thing to do. You know, there are 13,000 police officers in Chicago. Obviously, CPD has, has a very long and troubled history, and changing culture, if it's going to happen at all, is going to be really difficult and, and take a long time. Deborah, to what extent is culture standing in the way? Institutional culture is an enormous an enormous part of the, the question and the problem here. There's an expression that, that we often use that is that culture eats policy for breakfast. Um, a problematic institutional culture will never be overcome even by good policymaking. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really important to think about the police department in that context. Policing in Chicago, you know, is not a good system with a couple of bad people in it, it's a bad system with a lot of really good people in it, which is one of the reasons that we will not discipline our way out of what is a crisis in transparent and accountable policing. I very much agree that 
cultural change is absolutely necessary to meaningful reform. And I think, you know, it is both bottom-up and top-down. Leadership, meaningful leadership in reform is also absolutely necessary, and I frankly think lacking. I think that the senior command leadership of the police department is failing its members and failing members of the public. You've mentioned a lack of will. You also said that there are hearings about reforms that are supposed to happen, but they don't. Why not? Does it come back to that political will? Yes. I think the short answer is that yes, it does. I think that we have, you know, a city government which continues to um, sort of be content to, to function as the reluctant subject of transparency and accountability and reform efforts rather than a proactive driver of those efforts. I think that, you know, until the city government meaningfully picks up the mantle of reform and transparency, we will have failed here. I think um, there is so much, uh, so much of policing and police accountability happens in, in what amounts to a windowless room. There's simply not enough public view into the operations of, of the city's public safety operation and the accountability system. And people are rightfully and appropriately inclined to mistrust things that happen in windowless rooms. Deborah, the Fraternal Order of Police, that's, of course, the union that's representing the rank and file in CPD, they've sometimes been blamed for blocking or, or gumming up reform. For instance, pushing back against attempts to change protections for officers in disciplinary cases. Do you think that's fair? I think that um, there are lots of obstacles to reform, and it is incumbent upon the city to navigate through and around them. I think that in the example that you give, you know, with, with procedural protections in the disciplinary process, one that people talk about often has to do with the requirement that complaints of police misconduct be supported by a sworn affidavit. That's often kind of cited as, as, you know, an an obstacle, kind of a barrier to entry for complainants into the disciplinary system. In fact, and and our office has reported on this publicly, while the affidavit requirement certainly has the potential to function as that sort of barrier to accountability, there has long been built into the system a mechanism by which the Bureau of Internal Affairs at, at, at CPD and COPA could override the affidavit requirement. There's a procedural mechanism which allows for the substitution of a different process. And we found that despite the availability of that mechanism, BIA and COPA haven't used it in a meaningful way. And so I use that as an example to say there absolutely are obstacles to reform. There also are ways to navigate them. Deborah, this series that we're running here, it's all about reimagining new ways for the city's institutions to function, right? How would you reimagine policing? Like if you were to reimagine a well-functioning police department here in Chicago, and of course that encompasses a lot, but for the sake of narrowing it down for this conversation, where do you think that the department needs to begin? I think there are sort of three three things that need to be done. And this is a really complicated landscape, but you know, I, by way of sort of framework to think through complicated solutions, I think three things. First, I think we need to right-size the footprint of the police department. We need to thoughtfully make decisions about what functions should be carried out by the police department and what functions should be carried out by other agencies. Once we have made those decisions about what is appropriate for the police department to do, 
The second thing is that we need to equip the police department to be successful at those functions which we have allocated to it. You know, we don't train and equip police officers to be mental health, you know, behavioral health workers. We don't train and equip them to be addiction counselors. We don't train and equip them to be domestic violence counselors and so on. We need to train and equip the police department to be successful at the things we've decided it should do. That includes not only effective training and equipment, it includes meaningful supervision and effective and clear policy making. And then third, we need an external oversight apparatus which is well and thoughtfully organized and which is informed both by lived experience of people in Chicago's communities and by subject matter and technical expertise. So would you recommend bringing in more mental health responders to go into the field, like a CAHOOTS model? I think, you know, those sorts of co-responder models like CAHOOTS is, are certainly certainly something that, that bears more examination. That would be part of this sort of right-sizing exercise where we look at what we want to have police officers doing and what somebody else should be doing. I think that we need to find some better solutions to deal with, to deal with behavioral health crises where we are not adequately equipping members of the police department to, to be the right responders. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we ask in, in the face of dwindling resources all around, we ask members of the police department to be the first line of defense and the last resort for an ever-growing sort of number of ills. And that's not, that's not a setup for successful outcomes. What's your hope for CPD uh, in the long term? My hope is that um, CPD will, will come to be a place that honors the good work of the men and women in uniform. Um, the people who work in the streets of Chicago every day deserve a department that is well and transparently run, um, that is accountable to its members and to the public, and that keeps Chicagoans in uniform and out safe. That's Deborah Witzberg, Deputy Inspector General of Public Safety for the City of Chicago. Deborah, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's today's Reset. All month on the podcast, we're bringing you our series, Reimagine Chicago, where we ask, how does Chicago work and how could it work better for residents? We're tackling city government, community investment, public safety, and schools. As we roll out this special project, we'll still bring you the weekly news recap every Friday. Thanks for listening, and take a few seconds to leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again tomorrow.